Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. So Geraldine, I, I don't know, my, my 2 million client might become a $6 million client. You're like, 4 million? And you're going to offer $500? I said, yeah, you're right. You know, Again, perspective. Or if they want to look at the cash flow forecasting, should I add another product? Should I not? What are you going to offer in that? So in these conversations, I've learned to break out the advisory piece, and that also further defined advisory. What is advisory? Welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Many of you are familiar with the overwhelm that comes with a mountain of tax work. It is so easy to get bogged down with the countless details and never-ending so-called quick questions from clients. But before you know it, you're working 70 hours a week with no end in sight. And the money might be good, but at some point it stops being worth it. The desire is to tighten your workload by doing higher level work for just a fraction of the clients so you can get your weekends back, but that just seems like a pipe dream. Here today to talk with me about this pipe dream is one of my clients, Priti Daswani. Priti owns Priti Daswani CPA, a firm based in Orlando, Florida, where she specializes in medical practices and those with real estate portfolios. She started her own firm six years ago after 10 years at the big four. She's doubled her business year over year and learned a lot along the way. Her favorite activity is finding money, and her goal is to get more people talking openly about money and stop treating it as taboo. Priti, welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thank you so much, Geraldine. I'm excited to be here. And listeners to the show know that interviewing clients about their journey is a great way for listeners to get a sense of what's possible while also getting a feel for the actual experience and what it's like through your own eyes. So let's just set the stage for listeners. Tell people what's going on in your business. What was going on back in March before you reached out? Describe your business, how many clients you had, the kind of work you were doing, revenue, and so on. So back in March, and this was actually something that had started in January. By the time I connected with you, it was March. Um, I, you know, I had a portfolio of over 700 clients. Every day I woke up saying, oh my God, more taxes to do. And it's not that I don't enjoy that work, but it was just never ending. There was no structure in the sense I was scheduling everything and anything, any type of client, any type of industry, consults, foreigners, domestic businesses, individuals, trusts. It was just a lot of clients, a lot of work, and no end in sight. And we've been working together about four months. There was about a month kind of hiatus in there between vacation and tax season. But where are you now? What's changed? 
Well, the biggest thing that changed is one, I had to take a step back. The only reason I know I had 700 clients is when we had our first session, you had asked me, look, I just want to have an idea of your client base and, you know, just, just give me an idea. And so I exported out my, my own financials. And when I shared it with you, I hadn't even totaled it up. You're the one who said, oh my God, you were working with 700 clients. And I remember, I, I didn't let you know at that point. I said, oh my God, that's crazy. And then you made me realize some of the mix of clients, like, well, you know, out of this 200 of them, you've only made a small dollar amount. What, what are you doing for them? So it was understanding the client base, the client mix. It's, it's allowed me to take a step back and get a bigger picture of what I've been doing and what I should not be doing and who to say no to and why to say no to it. That's that's been the biggest change. So let's dig into that because I think saying no is tricky for a lot of people. Talk about the piece about saying no. Who have you had to say no to and what's become clear to you about why to say no to them? So I'm still working on the clear part because I would do this for free <laughs> if I could. I thoroughly enjoy helping small to mid-sized firms, setting up their businesses, becoming successful, you know, as you had said, finding money, doing tax strategizing. I thoroughly enjoy that. But I cannot help the whole world. I am one human being. So when we kind of sat down and had to better understand where have I developed my experience, who can I better serve, where do I have my most knowledge, trying to find a niche. And the reason I'm saying trying to is because it's still a work in progress. So trying to find a niche made it very clear that I'm still getting 80% of my revenue from 20% of my clients. Let's bring it down to that. So now when a client calls me who does not fit that niche, it's become much easier because in the back of my head, I will know or I know Yes, I can help you right now for these next few minutes, but in the long run, it's going to be detrimental to my time, to my health, to my peace of mind. So that's made it a bit easier. And it makes it a bit easier for me to tell the client, this is not what I'm specializing in. You do not want me to help you. I don't know cryptocurrency that well, or I don't know restaurants that well. I know how to set up your business, but I would rather you call somebody who knows what they're talking about so you're set up for success in the future. So that has made it easier but I still hate saying no. Most people do. You're you're in good company. Yes. So let's talk about what you are shifting into in terms of higher level services. Because I ran some numbers this morning on what you're offering. And if the 30 odd clients that you're in conversation with, I'll say yes, if you convert it, if you convert it 100%, you'll basically bring in 72% of your current or previous revenue on four and a half percent of your 700 clients. Correct. So the service levels have gone up and you've got a few different kinds of service levels. Can you talk about what those are? And then we'll get into what's included in each one and what the pricing is. Okay, I'm going to try my best because this is still a work in progress. Yeah. When we first started, I know that every client, doesn't matter who it is, every person, anyone who comes to a CPA needs bread and butter services. I call bread and butter services, tax preparation, payroll sometimes, uh, financial statements, bookkeeping, you know, some and more, some and less. Advice, everybody needs advice because everyone's so unique. So I knew there was bread and butter services there. But then I was giving away a lot of extra services 
for example, when a client is trying to expand or forecasting their cash flow or hiring someone, can I afford it? Investing in equipment or credits and incentives. I, you know, we've just survived the, the pandemic. Everyone was calling about, can I survive this pandemic? What does my what, you know, what does my cash flow look like? Do I qualify for PPP? Will I get the SBA loans? Uh, there was so many other services I was just giving away because I was reacting to my circumstances. And I had set up very uniquely from day one. I, I know when I first started listening to your podcast before I decided, okay, I want to go with Geraldine. You, you spoke a lot about value pricing rather than hourly pricing. From day one, and I'm admitting it, I don't know what I'm worth hourly. I have no idea. So I just did some market research the best I could. Google is the fancy word for saying market research. Um, I pretended to be a client and called random accountants in my area. I hope none of them listen to this podcast because my accent is so unique. They'll figure out it was me. And, and, and I set a price and I did bundle pricing because the big thing that I did realize when I was trying to figure out having my own private practices, clients do not like surprise billing. So if I have something set as a budget every month, what can I include in there? But in trying to figure out scope creep happened, uh, you know, a quick question, um, or I'm buying this new manufacturing facility. I mean, that's a huge endeavor. So everything was just being thrown into that lump sum. And I started with very basic pricing, $4.99, $7.50, $1,000 per month. And that included everything, sometimes for even million-dollar clients, because I didn't know how to necessarily price it out or what value I was providing. And with that, obviously, my work grew because I tried to provide a bang-up job for what I was offering and what the client wanted. And so that has become a bit more refined during this process and trying to figure out, okay, what services are you providing? And that's when you and I kind of broke it up. There's bread and butter. Everybody needs the bread and butter. Everyone does not need to expand. So how can we make that a separate service? And what will happen if they expand? And, you know, those were some of the questions you kept probing me with, but put a dollar value to it. So Geraldine, I, I don't know, my, my two million client might become a six million dollar client. You're like, four million and you're going to offer $500? I said, yeah, you're right. You know, again, perspective. Or if they want to look at the cash flow forecasting, should I add another product? Should I not? What are you going to offer in that? So in these conversations, I've learned to break out the advisory piece and that also further defined advisory. What is advisory? You know, quick questions or the forecasting or the expansion or credits and incentives or tax strategizing is very different from just bread and butter because everyone has to do that tax return, whether you strategize or not. So let's get a little more specific because it looks like you have three main buckets, if you will. You've got folks in the bread and butter who are in the roughly six to $10,000 range. So this is going to end up being four. Then you've got some folks in the eighteen dollars to $30,000 range. Correct. Then you've got some folks in the sixty dollars to 84000 range. Mm-hmm. And then you've got some folks in the one twenty dollars range. Correct. Breakout for us. So what falls into the bucket of eighteen dollars to $30,000? Like what's included, what's not? What's in the sixty dollars to 84000 bucket and so on? For right now, that first bucket, I have it as... As, and, and we keep being redundant, but it's the bread and butter services. You know, it's one corporate tax return, one personal tax return with no nest, you know, no rental properties, no, no extra services on there. You know, maybe one sales tax and one state. 
there's maybe one phone call, not maybe, there's one phone call every quarter. There is some write-up services with one bank account, one savings account, one credit card. So it's just your basics for a company that wants the comfort of a CPA looking at their financials, but does not necessarily need any bells and whistles. Okay, great. And I conflated two buckets there. So is that six? Is that the 6,000 to 8,400 range? That's approximate. Yes, it's about the 500 to the 750 to maybe 1,000, you know, depending on or, or, or 500 to 1,500. Yes, depending. 500 to 1,500 what? Per month. Per month. So that makes it about the 6,000 to the 18,000. Gotcha. Six, okay. So where's the 30,000? Because I threw that number in there. In your mind, does that fall more in the bread and butter or more in the 60,000 to 84,000? It depends because it's unheard of in today's world for a client to have one credit card, one business savings account. You know, the ones that come to a CPA generally have a bit more going on. They have loans, they have leases, they have more accounts that need attention, they have some income, they want to ask a few more questions. So I've started making my minimum at least a 2500 which puts you at a 30000 Now, if I start seeing potential in the client and saying, look, and I've seen this, and experience, in my opinion, gets you there. You just started out, you're barely catching up. So I might put you on the lower to introduce you to my firm services. But as you grow and as you add the five credit cards, the two SBA loans, the you know, then I say, look, it's time to look at the 2,500 minimum. And I, as part of this process, this has been a, a, a conversation I have up front. And for listeners who are like, oh my God, we're way too much in the detail. The reason that we're in the detail is because so often absent from these conversations about how to transition to advisory is detail. And a lot of people just need some specifics to understand what we're even talking about here. So if you're not into details, like put us on 2x. But if you're like lapping up the details, then we've got more coming. So let's do the 60 to 84 range, 64,000 a year. So what kinds of clients are in there? What's their business level? What sort of trajectory are they on? What's included? What's not included? So when you're looking at 60 to about 84, that's the five to 7,000 per month. They're looking for value. And generally, I've noticed it has to be a client that's at least a million in gross revenue. And then also, they better have some net income because if I'm paying my accountant 60000 and I'm going home with negative two, I may be the best accountant on the planet. At some point, I'm going to feel a bit not happy. So there has to be some value. So I, I generally look at the whole picture of the client. But that type of client to me has some gross revenue, at least a million to two million coming in. They have some net revenue. But they're looking for value in the sense, yes, they need the bread and butter. I need my tax return. I need my sales tax. I need my tangible personal property, personal, etc. But I also need tax strategizing. I also need some credits and incentives. You know, the, the government or the state is offering certain incentives for investing in people or for buying equipment. Or I want to expand, but I don't know if I have the money. So there's some cash flow forecasting. So I do include cash flow forecasting, and I do include tax planning and tax strategizing in that second bucket or second to third-ish bucket, however you want to put it. And there's a lot more advisory in that. I'm talking to them at least once a month, if not at least every two weeks. We're looking at their numbers. I'm meeting with some of their accounts payable, accounts receivable. I'm not doing their accounts payable and accounts receivable. But if I don't know what you are projected to get in the future and what you're going to owe in the future, I can't do my cash flow forecasting well. Okay, so let's go to the third bucket because you have one client who was your first conversion. 
Well, today I should be getting the second one signing. Uh-huh. Oh. Well, this is the fourth one between you and me at the one twenty range, which I forgot to tell you yesterday. <laughs> That's okay. I had a hunch it was coming. So let's talk about what are you doing for folks at the 120 range and what kind of businesses are these? So I'm struggling with this one in my own head because to me, that's such a big number that I want to offer everything but the kitchen sink or everything and the kitchen sink. I don't know the expression that well. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, that's all the bread and butter services. That's all of the cash flow forecasting, tax planning, strategizing, weekly meetings. But it's also generally a company that's expanding and they need budgeting, expansion, Uh, you know, where can we find more value for our money, looking at their pricing mix, product mix. So it's so much more custom to the client. So it's customized services. So for example, for my medical client, I have not promised, but in my mind, if I'm hiring someone at that level, I want to replace that cost and bring that client back to, you know, if they were netting 300,000, I still want them to net 300,000 after paying me my fees. So how do I find more money? And I'm going to be looking at their fee mix and where are they making that, you know, don't they say you make 80% of your money on 20% of the the product? So I want to take a look at their fee mix, customize it a bit more. With my exotic car company, which is a leasing company, I'm going to be customizing it completely different because we're going to do an expansion to have them from a $2 million loan to a $10 million loan. So that extra portion is completely customizing it to what the client needs to where they want to get. And 99% of the time, it's an expansion strategy of some forth, whether it is adding a new facility, whether it's buying commercial property, whether it's investing in a new business, whether it's looking at their current product mix. Uh, But you only find this out through conversations. And, And these negotiations have taken me months to figure out before I say, Okay, that bread and butter is going to be between that 60 to 84 plus the cash flow and the tax strategizing. But if we want to do this extra piece, we need to go, we need to be at 10. And generally, when I add that extra piece and I tell them the dollar value and that you've always made me aware, because every time I'm like, I'm so excited about employee retention credit, you're like, that's great. I don't understand the words coming out of your mouth. Put a dollar number to it. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, this could save a client 350,000 in annual reoccurring taxes or revenue, you're like, why shouldn't that be an extra 3,000 in fees, Preeti, per, per month? Yeah. So that's where I've tied some of that value for jumping from that 7,000 to 10,000 per month. Excellent. But I'm still learning to not keep adding to it because in my mind, I'm like, they're paying me so much money. I better give them everything they want. I better hurry up and get busy and do all the things. Mm, correct. And, and does that fit into the mix? Or are they now just making me their whole accounting back end? And I just am not realizing my value. Should it be 15000 But let's hold off till next year when I know when we have a follow-up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what do you think of these numbers when we first started working together would you have conceived that you would (laughs) offer okay you can do this middle package at 84 and this big package at 120 it'll help you expand and we'll do all the you know expansion planning and the financial plans for the bank and all the rest um that's ten thousand dollars a month what do you make of the experience of first getting these numbers out of your mouth first time compared to now I know you're not supposed to insult the person who invites you to a podcast, but if I'm to be honest, if you remember, I told you, I said, 
in nicer words, I said, Geraldine, you're crazy. No, you should use the colorful version. (laughs) (laughs) You said... Because it was way better. You said, challenge accepted. I said, all right, she's she's crazy. (laughs) But okay. You know, we we laughed about it first. And then you had to keep bringing me back to, let's put a number to it, Preeti, if you remember. You know, the first one... I think took us two sessions. You had told me already in the first one, hey, you kind of threw me in the deep end of the water. Let's take a look at your client mix. Okay, you've got 67 monthly recurring clients. Uh, Which ones do you want to keep? Which one do you think can handle this new pricing model? We we mapped out about 10 of them. And then you ended the conversation with, "Um, okay, so why don't you go ahead and see what, how they react? And I I remember thinking, I didn't tell you then, what? What? Mm -hmm. So I didn't do it, if you remember some excuse I made in our next session. But the follow-up, because it's, you know, some of my pride, I said, okay, I have to do this. So when I followed up with some of them and I said, especially Exotic was the car company that's growing to the $10 million loan, you know, I had to sit down with them. And, and I, I remember thinking, okay, it is what it is. He's going to fire me. No big deal. I don't care about them as much. Or, or, you know, what's the worst that'll happen? I mean, I care about my clients, but in my mind, I had said, if I lose them, it's not the end of the world. I still like him as a client, but picked up a phone, called him, and I said, listen, this is what we need to do. This is what you're going to gain. And this is my cost. I can't go below this because I'm literally going to be working with you nonstop. I wish I hadn't said that then. but And he said, yeah, that's fine. Literally, that was his expression. Uh-huh. And so the difference was now when I freed up all of this, mind you, $500 per month versus 10000 I could freely respectfully disengage some of the clients that I did not want to or were not a good fit now because in my mind I had something in my hand that covered that revenue so I gave myself peace of mind and when I started digging into the numbers I could actually produce that which I was talking about or that which I had a hunch was hidden in his numbers I knew I could find the money I knew I could get him there and he is going to qualify for that 10 million dollar loan as a matter of fact so that just increased my confidence, but I didn't have that initially. Yeah, that you would be able to show up and actually produce the value to back up the price. Right. When I give myself the time, I give myself the room, I, 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 I give myself the confidence. Sometimes I'm, it has improved, you know, with some of my medical clients when I've dug in, I'm like, oh, they're not as bad. I was, yeah, I need to look for it somewhere else. But when you give yourself the room as a CPA, we look at numbers all the time. We have a skill set. I just wasn't able to flex those muscles before because I didn't have that freedom. Right. Because you were always backed up against a deadline and under too heavy a client load. Yeah. Correct. So what have you learned about pricing and in particular kind of offering different prices to different clients and different services? And, you know, as we get started through this process, part of it is just doing it so that you have the experience and right. And it's uncomfortable and we need to test the marketplace to find out how people are going to respond. And I say this all the time, your job is to offer the price and then read the response of your client or your prospect. And it's going to fall anywhere on the spectrum between pushing away from the desk, taking a deep breath, crossing their arms and sucking air through their teeth and going, that's expensive. Or on the one end, or on the other end, what are you going to offer me? Or what are you going to offer me? Or at the other end of the spectrum, they're like, that sounds great. Where do I sign and when can we start? That's correct. (laughs) Right? And you get the range. 
So, and then, right, learning from that process, learning from the response of where the sort of sweet spot of your pricing is. So can you talk to listeners a little bit about that process and not having an exact right answer, which I know that we love as money and number people, and instead having to learn by trial and error and what you learned along the way? So, yes, some of it was the, okay, threw me in the deep end of the pool, find out from your current clients. And because my current clients like me, or I hope they like me, <laughs> I think they like me. I think they like you. They were honest about it. Yeah, they were honest about it. But some of it is also formal, just doing the research. You know, when I finally said, I'm taking the time to just doing black and white research. Because I realized when I was doing that, pretending to be a fake client, calling other accountants, even they're trying to figure it out. If you remember, I called you for it. first. I said, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm farting out my, my numbers. That was the exact expression I used. Yeah. It's a bit crude, but it's the truth. So when I was calling other CPAs around me, I said, I, I, the feeling I kept getting is, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm calling a 30-year-old veteran or if I'm calling someone who's just opened up. It seems like everyone's kind of also figuring it out. So then I started doing some research on group forums, on other websites, listening to your podcast, seeing what they have. And I'm starting to notice, wait a minute, I am underpricing myself because there seems to be some sort of value pricing based on certain exact metrics. So there seems to be some science, number of accounts, annual gross revenue, you know, time surprisingly is not the value. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, that's not the value. So there are certain metrics. And, um, you know, some people talk about if you're a gross annual revenue of 1 million, 1% in going towards your accounting fees is not unheard of. You know, so when I started doing that and then going backwards, so it was a combination of trial and error, just talking to clients and seeing how they're reacting, but also doing some market research, uh, you know, and, and, I'm, and I don't know if it's because I've made myself more open to it, but I see people talking about, when I say people, I mean other CPAs and EAs and accountants talking about pricing much more on the open Facebook forums. There are many more, uh, tr there's much more training being provided on this, uh, on this area. You know, I signed up for some of the VCFO training with Summit. Uh, they were very transparent about their pricing and their pricing model. And all of that has kind of brought it down to my Florida market as to what I think my clients are accepting. And if they're not, um, if it's a client I like and I want to work with, because one is pricing, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other is, but I really love this industry. I'm excited about getting up in the morning and working on this. How much am I willing to give on this? Mm -hmm. So some of that has been that. Yeah. And you can get compensated in ways other than strictly dollar value, right? You get compensated. Correct. You can get compensated in the joy of your work, in the making of, you know, you make a small concession because you really enjoy the person or you have a long history with them. There are other, we get, you know, we get compensated in ways other than strictly dollars. Well, that's qualitative, yes. But even the dollar value gets added onto it. So for example, one of the clients, one of the podcasts you did was with TriMerit that talks about credits and incentives. And I know we're getting technical, but to, to make it simpler is uh, for certain actions that you do, hiring people, investing in equipment, uh, you actually get government uh, money being paid back to you. It's not about finding taxes being reduced. So when I've said to a client, yes, this is what I want to do, and then I dig into the numbers and I say, wait a minute, they're doing this extra stuff. 
I bring in some of these other experts and now, you know, and I tell the client, hey, I think there's a 50 to 75 or a 75 to 350 value in here. Let them dig into it. It's going to cost you nothing. And if they do, they will charge you a separate fee for that. But now when you've added a dollar value and then as a partner, you potentially get some of that fee share also. It's not necessarily the reason I'm doing it, but because I find more. So you will find other opportunities when you dig. That is exactly it. I love that. So some listeners are wondering, well, what about the workload? Because they're thinking to themselves, well, yeah, I might be working 70 hours a week now. And, you know, I've got 700 clients. And I don't just want to go down to 30 clients, if that means I'm meeting with them weekly, monthly, whatever, and I still have the same 70 hours a week of workload. So can you compare the workload to the extent that you can, because you're in the startup phase with them, right? And the learning curve is steep and getting up to speed and everything and the new way of working with them. But just to the extent that you're able to forecast what the workload is going to be like with 30-ish clients who you meet with more frequently, more in depth compared to 700 clients that take 70 hours a week, what's your estimation of how the workloads compare? So yes, the most important thing you said was right now in the beginning phase is because I did all of this extra work of digging into the client when I was with the big four, got bogged down in growing my firm, and so had to just refresh my memory and actually renew myself on some of the new technology out there. So my 70 hours is still, you know, some weeks can still be 70, but yes, has gone down a little bit more as I've been disengaging. I am not a sole practitioner, as in I do have staff that help. Uh, we're, we're a group of five of us. One of them is administrative. The other three are still accountants or, or CPAs in the making. The way I anticipate is right now I want to learn how I'm structuring my firm. If I don't steer the ship the way I want it to be, where I want it to go, my staff will not know what to do. So I... I anticipate the time becoming less eventually because I will not be in the meat and potatoes of it. So when I'm having my meeting right now, I look at each of the line items. I'm looking at the bank recs. I'm looking at the monthly transactions. I'm looking at the KPIs. I'm looking at what's going on. I'm looking at the depreciation. Is it correct? Is it not correct? That takes time. In a perfect world, I want to do the value-added meetings where we're strategizing, where we're talking, where I'm finding the opportunities, but the work is being done by my team. And they actually enjoy doing it too, because now they're not only working on tax returns. So it's a win-win situation. But the personalities that I have don't necessarily enjoy meeting with clients. So if you're saying, where do I see myself right now? I'm still in the meet. I'm in the heat of it. I have to learn the new stuff. I have to change it. I have to do the engagement letters and the the work product, I also have to meet with the client. I also have to look up the mistakes. I also have to do the work because I'm also training my team. But in a perfect world starting next year, these reoccurring just tax clients will not be there. So that goes away. They will be doing the daily work, the grunt work of what needs to be done to get to the meetings where I will just be meeting with clients and finding more opportunities and potentially finding additional clients. That's my perfect case scenario. How I will get there or the road to getting there is still quite bumpy. So if you're meeting, I mean, at most with 30 clients, 30 meetings a week, which you're not doing. No, not right now. 
And not all of them, if you notice, are at that level. So the 120 through the 60 is definitely the ones I want to at least meet with. And when I say meet with, so for example, my medical client, we have a, a, Friday, mor a Friday morning, 8 o'clock meeting. And right now it's just 15 minutes and I've set that expectation because they are such a mess, I am going to give them a mess till I get them to the point. So the 15 minutes is just to give them an update of where I'm at. I've given them an eight-week strategy of where we're going to be at. And after that, there's going to be a little bit more meat to our meetings. And I'll structure that out too, not only for them, but for myself too, what to expect and for my team too. This is what you need to finish by Friday. So these are not full-blown 30, 40, 45-minute meetings yet. Uh, it's about 15 to 20 minutes. And I purposely have done that because I'm still busy finishing off the remaining, what, 300, 400 clients. So I've bought myself time till I can get to a point. But one of the clients today, just before our call, called me, which is one of the VCFO clients that I'm working on, saying, Preeti, you know, I, I don't know where we stand 100%, which tells me I need to send out a more detailed email so I can get them up to speed of what we've accomplished so far. There's going to be a mix. Some of them are still going to be weekly meetings at one hour, one and a half hour, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. Some of the more smaller clients that still want to touch, but it might be a 15-minute phone call because we're not strategizing for them, but I just want to say, hey, we finished your reconciliations. I did an eyeball look. I know we're not strategizing for you, but you're looking a little off budget. Maybe you want to just retake a look at these monthly reports I've sent out to you. Um, so at least they're getting that touch, but you know, I'm not necessarily spending as much time with them. While you were telling me that story, I was looking at your client roster and the um, the sort of potential engagements that you have, and it looks like you know maybe there are a half dozen who are going to be at the very top level who might have some version of a weekly meeting, and then probably the bulk, maybe fifteen to twenty who are more monthly meeting, and then another 15 to 20 who are maybe more quarterly with short check-ins or something like that. That's correct. If you push down the rest of the work to your staff and you're focused strictly on the meetings and then generating new business, once that gets rolling, that seems like a pretty manageable workload. Do you think that's fair to say? Absolutely. That That's that's a dream workload to me. <laughs> you know, uh, that, yeah, I'd love to say I will not be doing any of the, the, the grunt work, but problem solving eventually becomes mine. Yes, I've done the bank reconciliation, but something doesn't look right. And and they've they've got enough experience to be able to figure that out by now. But sometimes, you know, I, I don't, gar what is it, garbage in, garbage out. I don't want to show up at a meeting and the client says to me, uh, wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. So I, it's not that I won't have to be doing some of that detail work. I'm going to have to do some of that detail work. But in a perfect world, it's already been done. I've had time to review. I've had time to update myself on some of the newer developments in the industry of my niche, uh, kind of update my client on that, see what's going on in legislation, and then have my meeting with my client on their current business and what's going on with them. And I don't think a perfect world is that far away. I mean, I don't think it's longer. I don't think it's longer than a year. God willing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's, before we close, bring it back at a high level to what the process has been like overall. What has been the biggest surprise, the biggest unexpected surprise about this whole thing? Like what has happened and what didn't happen that you thought for sure was going to happen? What was a surprise is how easily I was willing to disengage from certain clients. I, I thought it would be harder, but the more I've done it, the more it's become easier 
and I'm a little afraid that it's become so much fun that I'm going to land up at January 1st looking at my phone next year saying, oh my God, I disengaged everybody. So that's been my surprise and some innate fears. What I thought would be easy was, oh, it's a magic wand. Mm. I, I say that now, you know, Geraldine's been working with so many accountants and, you know, I'll, I'll figure this out. We'll strategize this. I got this. And then I realized, but wait, I still have to service my current clients. I still have to live my life. We're still in COVID. You know, I've got a few personal requirements that I need to fulfill. And she's going to give me some homework. So, you know, I, the, I realized I, what, what I surprised myself with is the only way I sometimes get things done, especially the stuff that I don't want to do, is by saying I'm being accountable to someone. So I remember I, I, in our first meeting, I had told you, look, I don't want to be best friends with you. And I know that sounds mean, but I will only perform and every personality is different. If you tell me, look, you have to do this and, 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 and are not afraid to ask me, but why didn't you do it? You know, it's a bit embarrassing. So, so that what I thought was going to be easy because you know I, I want to do this and I want to do it yesterday. Uh, I was a little surprised at myself at how long I've taken to get some of the stuff done, and the only way I do it is by being accountable. The toughest part of this would be the workflow, figuring that out. Every time, every time I think I've got it figured out, I'm I'm having to refine it a bit more. Engagement letters. Once a client says, yes, what do I do then? You know, and the disengagement letters and the workflow, in my opinion, and figuring that out for your firm and your niche and your time, in my opinion, is the toughest part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not even the disengaging. That's been harder than the disengaging. Yes, because I, I think if you're an existing uh, practice, unraveling, in my opinion, again, I, I, it's been a long time that I've been a new accountant. In my opinion, unraveling takes longer than starting from scratch. But I bet you there's an accountant out there listening to what I'm saying, saying she's crazy because I, I, I hate marketing or it's tough to find that first client. I've probably forgotten what that feels like. Yeah. In witnessing my own clients who have a kind of variety of different places that they're in, the more there is to unravel, the longer it takes. Whereas building from scratch or from newer or from smaller that has less to unravel. It's a little bit more challenging because there's, there's more sort of open-ended questions. But once they get pointed in the right direction, they get traction. They don't have the, all the unraveling and the undoing and all the disengaging of the 700 and everything that still needs to get dealt with, especially in 2021, where there's just been extension after extension and the tax season never ends. And some people still haven't given you their stuff and they don't know that they're supposed to file their taxes for 2021 and all the rest. So there's... I. It's the same thing that I see. You mentioned yesterday in our meeting about feeling lighter and excited. What are you excited about? Well, I'm not getting up in the morning saying I have to do an 1120S and I have to do a 1040 and a 1065. I have to do that tomorrow. I have to do that day after. Oh, I have to do that on Friday also. You know, so I get up in the morning looking at my calendar and saying I have an accounts payable meeting or I have a tax strategy meeting or I have, yes, we have to still do the bread and butter work, but I'm more excited about it because I'm focusing on, on, on projects that I actually enjoy doing a bit more. It's not the same mundane over and over. And, you know, there might be some accountants out there saying, well, if you were a generalist, you were working in different industries, so it wasn't necessarily the same. Yes, you're right, but it's it's the same forms. It's the same. I'm now getting into the meat and potatoes, so I'm excited about that. You know, I feel lighter because I've got a bit more confidence. Uh, 
for the longest while I was looking at the accounting industry and the way clients perceive stuff through my lens. When I decided to work with someone, I had the luxury now of seeing the accounting industry through a broader lens. You know, when you said to me, Preeti, people don't know about the ERC credit, the employee retention credit as much, or no, I don't think people are offering this, or oh, you've written this really well. I think it was a broader spectrum. So, you know, some of that has been very, very eye-opening. And then finally, getting the remuneration that I think I deserve has been the, the, the icing on the cake. There was a certain point we were only focusing on numbers, you and I, and you had to just bring me back and say, Preeti, this isn't about you. This is about the client. And I said, yeah, that's right. What will excite? I can hit them with the bill from here to Sunday, but what excites them? And will that excite me? And then in turn, adding a price to it wasn't so hard. So I love that. Last question. Is there anything else that you think listeners might benefit from hearing that we might not have touched on? I think it's a fantastic idea if you decide to get someone on to look at your business, but I am not going to say no to new practitioners. If they first decide to mess up, go out there, figure it out, in my opinion, this is a personal opinion. Because one of the best things we, I feel I did is by the time I came to this point, I think I should have done this a bit earlier so I wouldn't have so much to unravel. But when you were asking me certain questions, what do you think this is valued at? How do you think the client's going to react? What are some of the value propositions you can offer? The only reason I knew this is because I did the backbreaking work ahead of time. So I, I'm, I'm a fan of someone looking at your business, at having a coach, at getting some more continuing education, but I cannot put enough value on going out there and figuring it out on yourself somewhat. Don't put the entire onus on someone else. It's not going to be pleasant, but that's, that's how, in my opinion, you can get the best value out of that accountant and saying, what does your market have to offer? You know, I can, I can tell you where you should do and how you should restructure your business, but what does your market do? It's a perfect place to wrap. Priti Daswani, thank you so much for coming on the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I thoroughly enjoy working with you. Likewise. Did this year's tax season nearly kill you? Do you desperately want to be somewhere different a year from now, but you feel overwhelmed and lost about what to do to change things? The next time you find yourself wondering what to do, head over to SheThinksBigCoaching.com to check out the results clients get from working together. Then take the next small logical step and subscribe to my daily drip newsletter. You'll get one easily digestible tip a day on how to position your business, how to price services, and how to sell outcomes so that you can be more profitable, get your time back, and get off the tax hamster wheel for once and for all. That URL again is shethinksbigcoaching.com. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to geraldinecarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.